I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Eureka. Extraordinary ideas explored by ordinary minds. <laughs> what? I mean, it's an absolute liberty, that. <laughs> that comes from George Nichols on Twitter. <laughs> I like it. It's cheeky. Cheeky from George. ideas explored by ordinary minds. Well, I mean, I suppose if you're talking about the listeners, mm. I mean, I think you and I are extraordinary. The, the no, problem? We're not, are we? No, I don't think we are. No. But the problem is it's a good tagline. Yeah, I know. That's why it's a good, accurate tagline, and I hate it. <laughs> so un- unlucky, George, we won't be using that. Uh, what we do, as you know, is each week we invite a new expert to help us answer one of science's most interesting questions. I'm Rick Edwards. And I'm Dr. Michael Brooks. Uh, this week we are going to talk about irrational phobias and obsessions and mania. Oh. Have you got any in your locker? I feel like you probably No have. phobias. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any obsessions. There's things I don't like, like I can't touch cotton wool, or certainly can't pull it apart. I don't know if that counts as anything. Yeah, it probably would. That's probably a phobia. But uh, I mean, and and I don't like watch, watching people brush their hair. What? <laughs> well, like it, it, anything to do with that kind of texture and stuff running through that texture. It's the same with the cotton wool thing. Just when can't. you had hair, did you mind? <laughs> My hair's fine because it <laughs> combs it through nicely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, uh, cutting my toenails, can't bear it. Can't bear it. But that's because mm. when I was a kid, my stepdad was cutting my toenails once and he cut my toe. And so I've uh, just like yeah, got an so, absolute sort of almost, uh, I can't even talk about toenails really. So we'll go, did I ever show you my gummy toenail? No, no. Oh, I wish I'd oh, I known. hate toenails so much. It, it's actually sort of back in business and, and looks glorious now. But my <laughs> no, it doesn't. For, it, it does. It's it, a toenail. It yeah, does yeah. not well, no, glorious. Trust me, next to what it did look like, it looks glorious. Right. So I, I got some sort of fungal infection oh, that nice. meant it was just like a, a complete, it was mainly missing. So you just saw the soft yeah. underbelly, yeah, yeah. Um, which is horrible anyway. Yeah. Um, and like really sort of scabby. And it was like that for years. That's disgusting. Like years and years. <laughs> it was embarrassing to wear open-toed sandals and well, you not married just because they're point. open-toed sandals. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's lucky, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but it had... So when I met Ema, the toe was like that and it didn't put her <gasps> off. No. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was like it for years. Is that how you knew she was a keeper? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, kiss the toe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I wish I'd known that you had a problem with them. I could have tormented you. 
You could have done. I just, mm. I just looked away or closed my eyes. I mean, literally, I cannot. Yeah, bear but I'd, I'd send you photos, and you'd open them on your phone. You'd be like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, can, I wonder if I've got any old photos. Actually, I might as well dig I'm them out. I'm just not accepting any photos from you now. <laughs> As <laughs> sort of uh, the anti-dick pic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so all right, so you've got cotton wool. I think that probably is an is an established sort of mild. Yeah, yeah, phobia. I'm not surprised. Yeah, but I mean, it is. It's. It, I mean, we'll get into this oh, sort of. The, I'm the shivering qu- literally <laughs> thinking about it. But it's not that bad, is it? Like if I it's bought horrible. some cotton wool in, <laughs> and See, just, I can't even keep still while you're talking of, uh, about it. Just like fingering it. Would you mind? It apart. Yeah. yeah, I would mind. Yeah, I wouldn't watch you. I wouldn't watch you do but that. But could you do it? I can do it if I have to. So I had to do it with the kids, like when, you know, when they were having nappy changes and you used a bit of cotton wool and stuff. You know, I had to just. What are you using cotton it. wool for? I can't remember. You're, you're... I'm pretty sure we used cotton wool for stuff. What? I don't know. Maybe it was like putting in my ears when they were yeah. screaming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so that, that fine. The toenail thing, I think, is interesting because. There's lots of discussion about trauma. where... And that's a trauma. I mean, that's a yeah, trauma-induced yeah, like, and, and, phobia, and trauma, basically. sort of early, like, childhood trauma, I yeah. think, can give rise to, yeah. you know, certain mild phobias. What about you? No, I don't think I've got any. Like, I, 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 certainly none that I can think of. Really? Yeah. You're so well-balanced. I think so, yeah. That was my conclusion. Because <laughs> they're really common. Like, I think 70% of people will say they have some kind of irrational fear. And, and, um, uh, so what, uh, what I'm thinking is, you remember back to our psychopath episode? Yeah, when we we kind of established that you were you're you know borderline getting there. No, 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 I no, wonder, no, 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 no. I was just I was just further along the scale than you. Yeah, all right. Which well, we expect. I wonder if I'm you don't have, don't have any irrational fears of anything because you basically don't have many fears of anything or or strong sort of feelings about stuff. Well, the only thing I could say is, but then I don't. I, there's no way I could put this in the in a category of a phobia. Is I don't like jumping off high stuff but then <laughs> that's just, why would that's like, just why would you yeah yeah it doesn't it, yeah, it yeah. makes no i do get there are some people who so no, it's not vertigo no 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 it's not vertigo no, no. it's just i get to so and this happens repeatedly because my friends know it if i go on holiday with my friends and there's a fucking big rock somewhere yeah. over the sea we always have to go and jump off it. Yeah, and part of a big part of the reason is they know how much I hate it, <laughs> but they also know that I'm too proud not to do it. So you will do it. So I, I do it, and I fucking loathe it. I absolutely <laughs> loathe it. I don't get any of the sort of there's there's no Absolute sense of euphoria. To your oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But you you know them. Yeah, they're yeah, yeah, dickheads, yeah. But they're quite funny. Um, and uh, <laughs> and yeah. So every time, and and, yeah, I, yeah. And, I, and I hate it, but I don't think that's. Well, for me, it's not irrational at all. Yeah, because you're worried that you're going to whack your whack your head. Yeah, actually, I don't really absolutely. like diving, and the reason I don't really like diving is from watching Greg Louganis. Do you remember him? Oh yeah, the yeah. diver in the 1988 he Olympics smashed his head, smashed his head on, on the diving board on on the way down. Yeah, and what I always took, and this to me feels quite logical. What I took from that is. This guy, he went on and won Olympic gold. This guy is the best diver in the world. He's and even he's smashes. fucking smashing his head on the board. <laughs> what hope do I have? So yeah, I was just like, I'm, no, I'm, I'm not fucking with that. I wouldn't jump off like a 10 metre board because why would I do that? There's no obligation to do it and it doesn't make sense to do it. Yeah, and it's not like you're suddenly going to discover that you're brilliant at it. No. Like it's not an untapped talent. <laughs> you're just going to fall like a sack I mean, of potatoes. It's sort of the same reason I wouldn't go skydiving probably, isn't it? Because yeah. there's part of me would quite like to experience skydiving. But there's also a part of me that goes, some parachutes don't open. Yeah, no, what I 
I think I'm the same. I, I would quite like to quantum leap into someone who was skydiving <laughs> and experience it for, and then quantum yeah. leap out again. Yeah. I'm not interested in the bit where I have to jump out the plane. <laughs> not doing that. And I'm not interested in the landing. I'd like to just yeah, be in yeah. the middle bit. The middle bit looks yeah. quite good, but I'm definitely not prepared to do the other stuff in order to yeah. experience it. And I think that's common sense. Yeah. So it's all, yeah. So I guess there's a bit of height stuff, but I definitely don't have. I wouldn't say I was scared of heights. No. I just don't want to jump off high things. Thank you. Fair. Thank you. Have you ever found yourself obsessing over something to the point where it feels like you can't control it? Maybe it's a particular food, a hobby, even a person. You know it's irrational, but you just can't help yourself. Where do these irrational obsessions come from? Are they the result of a deep-seated psychological issue? Or is there something else at play? Perhaps it's a way of coping with stress or anxiety. Maybe it's a way of feeling in control when everything else in life feels chaotic. This week, we're asking, where do irrational obsessions come from? Presumably, there's an expert here. Oh, yeah, and she's a really good not one, you. actually. No, it's not. No, no, no idea about this. Um, Kate Summerscale. So she's a journalist and award-winning author. I mean, aren't we all? I'm not. Um... Uh, am I? No, no. Not I, really. You were a, a, the judge on a on a book competition I got shortlisted for once. And you still didn't win. I didn't win. I mean, that is... We didn't know each That's other as funny, well. That, but that's yeah, a disgrace. I've forgotten about that. Back to Kate Summerscale, who has won some awards, and rightly so. Her latest book is The Book of Phobias and Manias, A History of the World in 99 Obsessions. It examines the history and treatments and theories about why we become obsessed with things. And it's... I, I, I honestly mean this in the most complimentary possible way. It is the perfect book to have in your in in, in your in your loo. Oh, I know exactly. For someone, what you mean. For yeah, someone yeah, to dip into yeah, because yeah. it's sort of it's just, it basically just goes. It's it, it's disrespectful to call it just a list, but it's like it's just chapter by chapter, loads of different phobias, lots of history and stuff about them. It's really it's great to just dip into. Yeah, yeah. Just flick to any page. You're like, this is interesting. Yeah, I yeah. What I do you love mean? Books you, what like do you that? mean? You're phobic of blushing. <laughs> <laughs> Grow up. <laughs> I love books like that. There's not enough books like that. No, too many are trying to you know have some Spit great out this big, big narrative. narrative. Yeah, oh, yeah. give over. Yeah, yeah, quite. You want narrative? Like, I don't need read a novel. I don't need 400 pages of your theory that could be summed up in a magazine article. I well, I mean, we've had this conversation before. There is almost no non-fiction book that couldn't be chopped in half, and, yeah. and it would be just as good. Yeah, yeah. In my view, except mine. Uh, well, no offense. All of mine. Thirteen things that don't make sense is one of my favourite, if not favourite, popular science I've never books. seen a but coming, yeah. more obviously. <laughs> but <laughs> it could have been 11 things, couldn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know it could. So you true. know it could. It probably could have been nine or ten. <laughs> <laughs> so not quite half, but you definitely shave a couple off there. But I, I, was like, he's, he's, I he's couldn't argue with that at all. Why did you do 13? Because it sounds it good. It sounds good, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Absolutely. How many have you got? Nine or ten, maybe? Okay, gonna need a couple more. <laughs> Actually, ten. I mean, you should have just done no, ten. No, no, thirteen. Yeah. It's it, thirteen things. I mean, it, mm. the alliteration works. Yeah. Actually, the, there's plenty more, because I did a follow-up article Three. for New Scientist, 13 more things that don't make sense. I could have brought some of those in, but I didn't. We made editorial decisions. It's fine. Yeah. Let's move on. It was a long time ago. Didn't win any awards. Uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, Kate, my point is that... Kate's, there are seven things yeah. that don't make sense. <laughs> I would have swept the board. <laughs> Kate's book is... Well, it's 99. 99 Obsessions. Oh, nice. And it's really... Um, 
it's it's really good. It's really fun. Yeah, uh, and I've only read uh, about ten of them, but I, but I really enjoyed it. So, how do you kick things off with her? Well, obviously, I told her I loved the book, uh, and then I just asked her to tell us about some of the most interesting cases of mania that she's researched. The um, outbreak of Coria mania, or dancing mania, on the banks of the Rhine in the 14th century uh, was a, a strange uh, phenomenon where people started wildly dancing in villages and um, the, the um, contagion, the dancing contagion would spread, people would dance so much that they would cut, the, cut their feet, they would sometimes suffer uh, seizures and even die, um, and the author Authorities were unable to work out what was going on, why it was happening, how to stop it. And sometimes they provided halls for people to dance in uh, to try to at least contain it, to order the this craze. And um, it's sort of fascinating, as with many of these um, outbreaks of communal, what used to be called hysteria, or sort of mass panics. Or um, there was many theories uh, about what caused it, ranging from the biological, physiological, so perhaps these people had been um, become delusional because they had been poisoned by a mould that was growing on their wheat supply. The banks of the Rhine had recently flooded and um, and the, the harvest had been mouldy. But other theories suggested that it was a religious mania that was caused by certain new religious sects moving through Europe and whipping up a frenzy. I mean, that takes us back to our Evolution's Greatest Hits episode where I said fungi are amazing yeah, yeah, at controlling yeah. stuff. Yeah. Imagine if that was a mould that just made people dance like idiots. Yeah. I think I mean I don't know what the, the I mean I don't know what the mold, the fungus is getting out of that but I, I still like it. No, I my my sort of overriding caveat for this episode is <laughs> it feels like quite a lot of hokey science <laughs> of people just speculating and able to prove nothing. So it's our favorite kind of science. Yeah, so they're kind of, you know, well, it might have been moles. <laughs> like yeah, fine, maybe. <laughs> Not going to be able to prove it now. Um but yeah, I mean there are certainly amazing examples in the in in the animal kingdom of of fungus sort of taking control of things so yeah yeah i guess it's not it's not impossible uh but there are some there are some sort of remarkable examples through history of group mania so this this dancing mania is one of them uh, there was one a sort of epidemic of demononomania i think is how it's said all right which is sort of fear of being possessed by a demon um, and it, it broke out in the in the mid nineteenth century in Haute Savoie. Don't know where that is, but somewhere in Europe. France. Uh, you, I guess could be could be sort of Belgium, couldn't it, or something? I, I suppose it could. Yeah. Um, and you had so it's. I read something which said at the peak of the epidemic, a hundred townspeople were convulsing, hallucinating, uh, prophesying frothing at the mouth, speaking in tongues and performing acrobatic feats. To be honest, it sounds great. I would watch that. You, you pay good... Uh, yeah, keep your Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see a load of, load of nutters who are terrified of being possessed by demons. <laughs> Presumably rural nutters as well. <laughs> yeah, the best sort of nutter. <laughs> uh, and then you've got, like, when we're talking about the sort of the heights thing and sort of not liking... Well, yeah. being fine with heights not wanting to jump off high things. There is this vein of phobias in inverted commas where they just seem to be quite 
reasonable. So there was one in the uh, in the 18th and 19th century uh, called taphobia, which is a fear of being buried alive. And the reason for that is fundamentally at that time, people quite getting... a lot of people were getting buried alive. And so <laughs> you're like, well, yeah, I, I wouldn't. Yeah. I would really hate that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so, yes, I, mean, I guess I'm a bit scared of that. It's a bit like having a fear of being hit by a bus. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, well, I don't, it's not fair to say that's a phobia. I actually look before I cross the road because I've got a fear of being hit by a bus. <laughs> not to diminish uh, people who have phobias, but no. absolutely to diminish people who have phobias. Yeah, I mean, if it's going to kill you, I don't really think no, no, it, it counts as a phobia. No. Well, in, in sort of the modern definition of a phobia, it wouldn't count because it being irrational and disproportionate. Yeah, is yeah. Part disproportionate of the, reaction. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Okay. Exactly. I mean, I, I don't know how many, um, th- there's so many phobias, all of which, <laughs> not a lot of which are quite funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, unless I just it's go you through, that's got them, obviously. Even then, uh, you've got to laugh at yourself, <laughs> haven't you? So, erythrophobia is, so it was originally. <laughs> <laughs> an intolerance for things that are red. Imagine <laughs> 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 I mean, grow up. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> now it's um, it's people who have a pathological fear of of blushing, like a, like they, they they hate going red. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. And, and and the good thing about that is obviously it's self fulfilling <laughs> because as soon as you as soon as you you're like you're getting really really anxious about the fact you hate blushing, then you start to blush and then it just builds and builds. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then and, <laughs> all the people who are laughing at you are also going slightly red. Like yeah, I am, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> Literally that. Um, so that that's quite a good one. And it's hard to work out. I mean, first of all, no one's quite sure what blushing, what purpose blushing serves yeah. anyway. Right. Um, and, and, then, uh, and then people try to work out whether people who have erythrophobia do actually blush more. And, and so they, they did some experiments and it turns out but they don't. They're just more aware of it. Yeah, okay. So okay. you kind of... Yeah. It really is completely in, in their head. But once you're self-conscious about it, it's a problem, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but also uh, still just ridiculous, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> well, no, it's not ridiculous. If it's giving mm-hmm. away a signal that you're nervous or anxious or upset, it's sort of like it's betraying you in some ways, I think. So I think it's... I don't know. I, I sort of feel like if you blush and you're conscious of blushing, yeah. then you're actually sort of self-conscious and you, you feel like now people are judging me. Uh, you know, so if you're in a situation where you're embarrassed and yeah. just, you just make it worse, that I mean, that's going to make you keep away from social situations. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can see how it would be slightly debilitating. But sorry, I think I've, I've explained the, the experiment they did in a misleadingly so it's not they actually do not blush more th- these people who are yeah. worried about it they think that they do yeah yeah and yeah. the people that d- don't have any issue with blushes report their blushing less so they're less aware of it and the erythrophobes are more aware of it and possibly like they do their, their heart rate does increase more yeah and, and if it looks like they're mistaking the fast heartbeat for, for extra for, 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 for blushing for blushing okay yeah yeah 
Um, and I wonder if that sort of information would make them less concerned. If you said to them, no, genuinely, you, you feel like you're, you're blushing more than the average person, but you're really not. So it's, it's fine. Maybe. Yeah, could try it. Um, so, but the... Are you going to solve all the phobias? I'm going to I'm going to try and solve all the phobias. Yeah, so uh, buckle up. <laughs> this is going to be a long episode. <laughs> but I think that the um, the the really sort of weird thing about phobias and manias is they are in a in a really fundamental way a sort of social construct. So yeah. there was just a guy in the 18th century. So phobias and manias did did exist but they didn't describe what they what they describe now so phobias were just like physical symptoms of stuff and um, mania was uh was more of a sort of social thing i can't remember what it was but anyway he he just said oh no i, I think these are like psychological conditions a guy called benjamin rush um and so and then as soon as you start putting labels on yeah then 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 People are like, oh yeah, I've got that. I've got that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, you pathologize it, don't you? you completely, completely. Yeah. And and in some ways, I mean, you know, this is a wider conversation about labels, I suppose. Whether labels are helpful, it does. If you have sort of a generalized anxiety about things, if you are specific with the thing, this is the thing that makes me upset. You kind of particularize it. Yeah, that I think can be helpful as a coping mechanism. So you're sort of saying, oh, actually, this. That is the narrow thing that upsets me, and everything else is okay. Yeah. Whereas if you don't have that, then you can just feel a more sort of blanket anxiety. Yeah, it's like anything could. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what's going to yeah, trigger yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it might be, it might be useful. Um, so do, re- do we have do we have de- definitions for mania now and obsession? Yeah. So so if you go off the um, uh, what's it called the oh actually do you know what this this amazed me and it told me that I know absolutely nothing about American history. Benjamin Rush is one of the founding fathers. I'd never heard of the guy. He's not in Hamilton, though, is he? No, well, exactly. So, so he doesn't know. really count. No, he, he can't. Um, oh, he. so he... <laughs> also, he's quite funny. I think he's quite funny anyway. So he's, he's got, you know, all your sort of fairly typical phobias. I'm, I'm phobic of dirt. I'm phobic of a ghost. I'm phobic of rats or whatever. Um, and then, like, some funny ones in there, like uh, home phobia, which he said afflicted gentlemen who felt compelled to stop off at the tavern after work. <laughs> 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 like, okay. All right. You're a bit of a one, Benjamin. <laughs> uh, but the. Um, so the American uh, Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistic Manual Number Five, oh, yeah. which is the the, the DSM, the and we can't, we're definitely not going to go into why this is quite a problematic thing. No, <laughs> it's, no, all, no. it's all basically made up. Um, but they say that to diagnose a phobia, the fear has to be excessive, unreasonable, and have lasted for six months or more, and it must mean that the individual. Uh, avoids the feared situation or the object or whatever it is in a way that interferes with their normal functioning. Okay, yeah. So it's actually a fairly high bar, I think, that. Yeah. So, and immediately, that wipes out, like, my thing, if I don't want to jump off high things, that has, it's not excessive, it's not unreasonable, it doesn't interfere with my normal functioning yeah, at yeah, all. It's yeah. a very easy thing to avoid and, and doesn't Im- impede my sort of enjoyment of life. Yeah, so, okay. definitely not a phobia. Yeah. Um, and then they, they kind of break those down into, so you've got social phobias which are sort of fears of various social situations and then you've got the specific phobias and there's a load of different types of them so animal phobias uh which we'll go into in a bit more detail yeah. because some of them 
you I think you could make an argument have some sort of evolutionary drive, although I think it's a bit iffy, the reasoning. Then natural environment phobia. So that would be sort of fear of fear of heights or fear yeah. of drowning, you yeah. know, whatever. And then sort of injection, injury, blood type yeah. phobias, situational phobias like getting well, buried alive, I suppose, would be one trapped in the like claustrophobia, yeah, uh, ag- uh, agoraphobia, all those ones, and then and then just sort of the the rest of them. So things like fear of uh, vomiting or or choking or you know, loud the stuff that doesn't fall into those things. So there's quite a lot of different um, phobias, but they're quite hard to study because although when they've done quite a lot of um, research into the sort of population, the American population, and loads of people say that they have them, mm. but not many people seek treatment because they just think, well, I'll avoid the thing. Yeah, that, no, fair enough. And that'll yeah, be fine, yeah. which, is, which is a sort of fairly yeah. reasonable way of approaching it, unless it is debilitating. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, so, yeah, it's quite a long answer to, yes, there is a, there is a definition of them. And then manias are just uh, sort of compulsion to... To, to do something so that could be um yeah and, and we've really um got a lot of discrete sort of categories for those so obsessive compulsive disorders eating disorders addictions you know all that uh, kind okay, of thing all that kind yeah of stuff. yeah right, okay. yeah but they're they're all within the family the ang the, the that very happy family the anxiety family <laughs> <laughs> um and so you'd say they're all sort of anxiety disorders and they are very prevalent yeah and awful and yes, not great. Yeah. Not great. Um, I do know quite a lot of people who have them. Um, just not me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure they're very grateful to have such a normal friend. Such a level-headed guy. <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't judge them or laugh at them in any way. <laughs> so, I mean, are they serving some evolutionary purpose? I mean, you talked about uh, well, you know, like fear of animals. Like Fear of animals is... Can be quite a good thing. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, but, but if I, it gets out of hand, like like Millie, my daughter doesn't like pheasants or fish. She she right. won't be in the she won't be in water if there's like fish swimming around, for instance. Uh, and why? I don't know. No idea. No idea. Pheasants. Pheasants. She really hates pheasants. <laughs> yeah, but that. Hang on. Hates pheasants is not. No, no, as... but but she will like have an irrational sort of reaction to even hearing a pheasant squawk. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, people get it much worse than that. I mean, I've been around people who who will not be in the same sort of anywhere near a pigeon or yeah. You know, and people have well, a those big spiders fear of... and snakes are the classic, yeah, aren't yeah. they? Mm. Um, well, look, I I asked Kate, you know, is there a purpose? Do we think in the short term, a lot of phobias and manias offer comfort to the people who suffer from them. Sometimes it's possible that people displace an anxiety onto a particular object or find relief from it by pursuing a particular action. For example, if somebody plucks their hair compulsively, um, they, which is a condition known as trichotillomania, um, it, it is a sort of self-soothing, it's a sort, sort of self-harm but also self-soothing process. And phobias too, if you um, can bundle up all your fears into one object or one creature, like a spider, and then avoid that creature, it can be a way of managing anxiety. 
And so at a, at a low level, phobias and manias can be ways of um, feeling that we are in control of the world around us and getting the dark thoughts out of our heads and onto the objects or creatures in our orbit and that they can then be managed and controlled. But of course, if the, um, if the anxiety about that takes over, then it becomes an obsessive thought that, um, that, that starts to control us. And I think it's when that happens that people are more likely to seek treatment for their, for their phobia um, if, it, if it becomes something that, uh, that dominates their thinking instead of a way of ridding themselves of anxiety. So people for years have been speculating on the, you know, possible function and possible causes of, of phobias. Mm. Um, so Freud... Um, obviously said a lot of stuff. You scared of that because it? yeah. it looks a bit like a cock. Uh, <laughs> you know, that fire mm, is quite phallic. <laughs> like, what penis are you looking at? <laughs> Genuinely. Um, probably loads. But he, he did say something that, you know, it has the ring of truth, I guess, but who knows, which is that it's, it's a sort of way of displacing an internal fear onto an external object because it's very difficult to escape from a sort of internal danger whereas you can you can save yourself from an external danger by running away from it or, or keeping yourself away from it so that's like you know it's sort of plausible but i mean there's no <laughs> it's sort of plausible but when you say oh you know yeah they put all their fears and anxieties into sp onto spiders mm. and then they don't see spiders very often so they can live you know so yeah. the fears don't come back i mean it's sort of a nice theory but it's it's all it is isn't it yeah i think i think it is and, and there's there's kind of the evolutionary angle of it so darwin um, had a great reaction once to being surprised by a snake where he said almost like by a re never really come across a snake in a while before immediately caught sight and then like a reflex like jumped a meter back yeah and he was like oh that must be some sort of innate sort of thing from the past when we were um you know when we maybe we were getting uh, predated upon by snakes or snakes are very poisonous and actually that's not like uh that's not entirely unreasonable because i think about uh there's what three and a half thousand different types of snake and i think about 600 of them are poisonous. Yeah. So you kind of go, yeah, makes makes a bit of sense don't, to don't try and cats, avoid like, automatically jump miles away from if anything that's snake like. Yeah, and and, they, and again you sort of go, well I can make a can plausible evolutionary, evolutionary argument for that. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. For that. Yeah. Where I think it kind of breaks down is why like it doesn't account for individual differences. Like I have absolutely no problem with snakes. Do you? No, yeah, no, and, yeah, and, and I wouldn't and a choose lot to be of, around them. No, but that's not that's not a sort of that's not a reflexive, um, no, you know, no. uh, jump back thing. And and if it was really advantageous from an evolutionary point of view, it would get selected for, yeah, wouldn't yeah. it? And and as you know, yes, if you'd say, you know, what proportion of the population are scared of snakes, it might be quite high. It might be like thirty percent of people. But still, that's seventy percent of people who aren't. Yeah, and also there's a lot of cultural baggage with that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, yeah, for yeah. decades and decades, yeah. we've had films, movies like you know, 
TV yeah. programs that basically portrayed snakes as the bad guys. Clown phobia. I can't remember what the technical oh, yeah, yeah, name yeah. for yeah. that is. Basically, was created because there was a serial killer, American serial killer in the in the eighties. What was his name? John Wayne Gacy. Is that his name? It's something oh, right, like that. Yeah. And uh, the press put out a, a photo of him dressed as a clown. And and suddenly this clown phobia just it erupted. Is that when did it start? Yeah, so that was early eighties, and then it. No. And then Stephen King wrote it in in the mid eighties. People and that, weren't and that scared of clowns in like the fifties. People weren't scared of clowns, or or if they were, it was very it was it wasn't a sort of common thing. And then right. suddenly there was an explosion because there's a serial killer dressed as a clown, and then Stephen King writes it, and then suddenly see. You, Again, it's sort of it's kind of confected yeah, all of this yeah, stuff. Yeah. It's like created by our own uh, behaviours, which is doesn't make it any less real, I suppose. But I, I don't know if I find that I, I do find that interesting. Um, the other thing is snakes. A lot of people are scared of spiders. Loads of people. Yeah, so yeah. I think it's snakes and spiders are the two are the two top ones. Spiders. Almost all of them are, are, are harmless. Like, yeah, it yeah. does not make I sense. Don't, I don't to be want to interact of... with them, though. Do you not? No. I, I love them. I wouldn't say I've got a phobia of them, but if there's a big spider sitting on the bathroom floor, yeah. I will sort of go away, get a glass and a card, and, and put it out the window. I don't want it around the house particularly. I don't want to think about it um, you know, climbing over my face at night. No, but I mean, I'm just so in that scenario. I'm doing the same thing, but I'm just like I'm thinking. Well, the spider would probably be better off outside, so I'm just going to put it outside, and that's. <laughs> I don't think it would. I mean, if, it, if it's uh, you know, it's probably living somewhere under the floorboards of your house, and you put it outside, it's not saying thank you very much. <laughs> I don't know. I think, but I'm not seeing enough. Uh, I'm not seeing cobwebs. I'm not seeing spider webs in my. In my house, so I don't know if he's. I think he sort of ended up in there. It could be under the floorboards, couldn't he? Uh, maybe, yeah. No, maybe I'm being harsh on this. You are being harsh. Yeah, if you say that you don't mind them, then I just really, let them I, sit in the I, floor. Now, Ema does mind them, so <laughs> we would have an issue there, and she really minds them. Like we had a not an argument, but I was really genuinely upset one day when I came home, and she had put a glass over a spider and then not done anything with it until the spider had oh, just, so it's just, uh, just, uh, just died in yeah. there. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? She's like, well, it doesn't, it's just a spider. It doesn't matter. And I was really, Ooh. I was, yeah, I, I didn't like that. <laughs> I, yeah, like yeah. that I think there's a lot of people would be on Ema's side. No, though. I mean, most people, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't like it. I thought it was very, very mean on the spider, which is entirely harmless. Um, but so there, when you're grubbing around for an evolutionary reason, it's, it's quite hard. But it was a biologist who did do that and he found he thought I wonder if there was like one really fucking horrible spider like back in the day yeah in our sort of evolutionary past and it's called something amazing and he found it it's called something amazing like the six side sand spider <laughs> you're like yeah it was in yeah. horror uh, in a part of Africa where early humans would have been and it would have been able to like kill a child through a through a through a bite but it's all post hoc. All of this, re it's really like we're just trying to fit some I stuff think on. The other thing about spiders, though, is they're very other, aren't they? They're very like creatures that are not yeah, like us. They don't yeah, look like yeah. us. They don't act like us. They spin webs. They they drink the you know fluids. And there loads of, their prey. of animals that are like that. Oh, I don't know. I've just they you feel, think they're particularly they feel other. like they're just really other. Yeah. Alien. Well, it's interesting that the octopus in the past has had a bit of you know like the sort of image of like a giant octopus taking yeah, over yeah, a ship yeah, and all yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff which clearly would never 
happen. But you, but you wonder if that's partly to do with how weird. Um, and yeah, yeah, we are. don't like weird stuff. We, no. we don't mind sort of mammals. But by weird, we mean just not like us, don't we? Yeah, yeah, effectively. Mm. Here's something that I read that I did find interesting and actually not that surprising when you give it a, a moment's thought, which is that on the whole, women are disproportionately phobic. So roughly twice as many women suffer with, with phobias as, as men, especially in the years in which they can bear children and effectively it's just like a heightened level of caution yeah yeah to just trying to protect them sense. and their yeah, and, their, yeah. and their offspring um but also literally because the environment in general and and even now is just more hostile to the social environment is just more hostile to, towards women and so yeah. they have more genuine reasons to be afraid which is awful and 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 not only that but they're their fears are more likely to be dismissed as, as being irrational, hysterical. Right. So when Ema says, you know, in a few years' time, oh, let's not get a clown in for the party, which mm -hmm. you've already booked. Yeah. If your, your kid's like, let's say, fifth birthday party, mm -hmm. we're going to get a clown in. And Ema says, no, we're not. What do you say? I say, well, I spent quite a lot of money because this clown comes and it's got a clown's head and then a spider's body. Uh, <laughs> it's sort of animatronic. <laughs> so, actually, I have to say, not being phobic of either spiders or clowns, I wouldn't love seeing a half clown, half spider <laughs> <laughs> coming over the horizon at me. Like the end of Wild Wild West. You ever seen that? No. The absolutely terrible um, Will Smith. Will Smith uh, yeah. Um, and there's there's some this huge. I mean, I can't even just. I mean, have a look at it. It's it's completely <laughs> ridiculous. <messed up>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, time for a quick break. When we get back, we'll be discussing how phobias manifest differently in different cultures, whether any of it is curable, and of course, we'll be answering today's question: Where do irrational obsessions come from? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And we are back. So we can learn to fear things. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, completely. So there are certain... So uh, so nobody's fear... born like with a fear of the number 13. No, of course not. No, that's yeah. entirely cultural. Yeah. Um, although, so in cultures where um, the number four is, is unlucky or, or fear, yeah. because it sounds like the word for death, death isn't yeah. it? You look at the statistics... If you die of like a, a heart attack or something like that, 
it's something like you're 17% more likely to die on the fourth of the month, <laughs> which is amazing, which kind of goes to show the power of the superstition. I was going to say, that's just yeah. because you know, there's a subset of people who are more anxious and more susceptible to kind of... Yeah. Yeah. But imagine that, though. I mean, that is really like, you know, phobiaing yourself to death. <laughs> Although, I mean, you would think that if it was the fourth, you'd be extra careful, wouldn't you? You would think so, but apparently... So I'm not jumping off that cliff today because it's the fourth and, you know, fourth is death and... Oh no no! But this is this is like heart attacks. It's the stuff like where your stress levels are going to have an impact. So it's, oh, so not, you're more it's not an stressed. accident. Yeah 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 yeah. So you're yeah. more stressed. Yeah. Uh, basically, you're more likely to believe. Oh, of course, I'm going to die today. It's the fourth. Yeah. And then that then. Oh, okay. Yeah, becomes true. Yeah. Well, just stop thinking like that. That's just stupid. <laughs> yes, it it is. Um, Kate <laughs> mentioned when I was talking to her about how phobias and manias can manifest differently in different cultures. There's a surprising um, consistency across different cultures about, for example, the animals that we're scared of. Uh, it's, uh, there, there are little sort of spikes in, in different countries of, of certain fears. There are cultural differences though for example in the west we're scared of the number 13 which has a a sort of history and and in some people it can be an, a, a sort of obsessive superstition which is rooted in you know the thir- the 12 disciples the 13th person at the table um, also in norse mythology the west has a sort of uh, a, a history that has given rise to this particular fear Whereas in the East, in China, South Korea, Japan, there is a similar and perhaps even more pronounced uh, terror of the number four, so that um, many hotels won't have floors that include the number four or aircraft won't end in a four. And this is because the number four in various Eastern languages sounds very similar to the word death. So that's obviously driven by by language, um, uh, but suggests it reminds us of how superstitious we all are in terms of attaching meanings to symbols as well as creatures and objects. We are so irrational, aren't we? I mean, yeah. the, it's like there's a there's a highway. I think it might be Arizona or New Mexico in the States that it was like Route 666 and they had to rename it because people wouldn't go on it because they said it's the devil's yeah, highway yeah, and the, they, yeah. you know, people were saying there's more accidents on that road than any other road in the US. Just not true. but Or, or it may have been because of people's sort of mad preconception about it. I don't know how that would... feels unlikely. I mean, it, it seems really unlikely. I mean, yeah. basically people are idiots. Then so. you'd be surprised that people are dying more, you know, on, on, on the 4th in East Asia, aren't you? Yeah, I suppose. But they are. Yeah. Marginally. Um, if we go back to uh, demonomania, mm. um, so the irrational fear of being possessed by devils, that obviously doesn't exist now because fundamentally people don't really believe in possession by evil spirit. I mean, some people probably do, but yeah. generally speaking... A pretty small that number. That is it's a small number of people still still believe that. And what you have is a kind of move to understand those conditions as being psychological rather than in some way weirdly sort of metaphysical. Yeah, yeah. And and so it just, you know, that's, that's, it's just a move from um, 
a certain way of thinking about the the universe and our and our place in it um involving god and demons and that kind of stuff towards a more secular society so it's now it's sort of the stuff is probably quite similar but the explanation and the way we think about it is different. So it shifted towards like Freud and psychiatry. And all yeah, that exactly. Has it shifted even further towards like neuroscience and being able to? Yeah, yeah. So, so people have tried to look and see what is happening in 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 the brain okay. during you know sort of phobias or, or or manic episodes, and as you'd expect, uh, you've got a bit of fight or flight. Yeah. So yeah. The, the the amygdala firing. Um, if you're if you're scared of being attacked or you think you're in a fearful situation because you're presented with the object that you're phobic of um and then you have a bit of so you can also have a sort of disgust reaction so slightly different to the to, oh, the, to, yeah, the, to yeah. the fear one um and that so and going back to the animals sort of being scared of uh rat phobic of rats phobic of slugs that kind of thing. It's sort of about um, protecting yourself from infection and disease. But again, that has kind of evolved as people have started to understand how those diseases are actually Yeah, so, so once you know that rats are vectors yeah, of disease, then you then yeah. you start to maybe sort of yeah. fear like any kind of encounter with a rat and find them disgusting. Yeah. Like Philippa finds yeah. rats disgusting. Right. But actually it's not the rats that are disgusting, it's the f- yeah, human so it, filth and the, the waste yeah, that we and, leave and, around. And the possibility of, of transmission, which is a yeah, reasonable yeah. thing to be worried about. Yeah. And also I think that lots of people at school had to read nineteen eighty four and the scene with the rats in the yeah. in, in the cage on oh, Winston's face yeah, yeah, yeah. is gruesome. Yeah. And you just got and I have no fundamentally I have no idea whether that thing of rats will just bore through whatever's in front of them <laughs> is true. But I when I read that I believed it. And that does make me feel a li- that's the only route I think of me being a bit squeamish about rats. Yeah. Just and purely from one thing. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, it doesn't fill me with joy the idea of encountering rats, but I don't find them disgusting. No, no, such. no, me neither. Me neither. I, I sort of admire rats, and they're quite sort of uh, resilient and yeah. impressive. All right, so you know, so so I'm sort of fine with rats. Philippa finds them disgusting. Mm. Other people would obsess over like n- never wanting anything to do with rats. So what what tips you over the edge into a kind of obsession or a phobia? I th- I think it is just that some people are a bit more prone prone to it oh, okay. so, so ge- genetically so you might be just a bit more prone to developing obsessive behavior it doesn't mean that you will but if there is a trigger particularly early in life then then that might just set it sort it of gets wired in into you, you yeah yeah so it's a cut co- but it is like i mean essentially like everything it's a combination of genetic and environmental yeah, factors yeah it feels like we're probably all on a on a scale sliding scale it's not binary like you're not like i am not disgusted by rats I'm completely disgusted by rats. Yeah, it's just yeah. that you're just positioned at various points. I think everyone probably has quite is somewhere on those scales. And then if you're if you have really intense, persistent feelings about it, then that might say yes, you are you are phobic. Right. But you can you I mean you can learn phobias from other people, particularly. Yeah, in, oh yeah, in, they're in very early. transmissible. Aren't yeah, they? yeah, completely. And that won't be genetic. That, no, that, that's like you're not gonna, environmental. You're not going to inherit a phobia of rats. But if your mum or dad or whatever, or someone you spend a lot of time with when you're young, is phobic of rats and expresses that, 
you are much more likely yeah. to then be phobic of rats. And the same learn, is true with maths, behavior. isn't it? Like you know, yeah, when we did our maths yeah, episode, yeah. If you if you are phobic of maths, if you have maths anxiety, and you try and help your kids with their homework, they become maths anxious. They become maths phobic. Mm. And you know, we've seen it time and again. And so it's weird. Like the human brain is so susceptible to influence from those, I guess, close to it, which makes sense because you know, socially, you have to be aware of other cues around you. So, so I kind of get that it's mm. sort of transmissible. But I, um, I, I found myself sort of nodding along to some of Rishi Sunak's stuff. About, I know, isn't that uh, awful? Attitudes to maths. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. know. Don't, I mean, it doesn't... I feel like he listened to our podcast, to be honest, and he just, must, he must just brought, just brought out it. all the same arguments. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that whole thing about, oh, you know, we wouldn't, wouldn't you know, think it was okay for people to say they, they don't like reading. Or they can't read. That, that's straight from straight us. Straight from us. Straight from yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm ashamed um, for him. Really. Doesn't doesn't really solve the problem. There aren't enough maths teachers. <laughs> no, no. Uh, <laughs> but let's but, not get onto that now. No, no, so no. I want to know. I've I've seen reports that you can like go on these intensive courses and cure your phobias and get over things. I'm pretty sure I've seen footage on TV mm-hmm. of people just like facing up to their fears. Yeah, Does that actually work? Therapy. Well, I asked Kate. And there was a, a woman for instance, in the late 1950s in London, who had a terror of cats. And um, it was her husband and children had to scope out any house for cats when they visited friends, for example, and make sure they were out of the way. And the woman's earliest memory of cats was of seeing her father drown some kittens when she was a child. And she'd afterwards been terrified of the family cat, hated, well, fur of all kinds because she associated it with cats. And she underwent an experimental form of exposure therapy in a hospital in London. And um, she was shown photographs and pictures of cats over several weeks she went to the doctors and they then got her to touch rabbit fur then cat fur so she gradually became more and eventually they placed a kitten on her lap and she just burst into tears of joy and relief because she wasn't um, she was no longer scared of it and in the and she took took the kitten home, adopted it as a cat, then got another cat. So this this was a happy story. But interestingly, in the course of the treatment, although it wasn't a psychotherapeutic treatment, it was much more practical than that. She talked about her relationship with her father, who had been very controlling of her private life, really, and. Um, she were when she went back to see the doctors after overcoming her phobia they asked her if she'd had any recurrences of her fear of cats and she said no but she did now have dreams of hitting her head her father over the head with a poker <laughs> so it was as if some something had been sort of unlocked in her some acknowledgement of her of her anger or, or distress with her father well, I'm I'm no Freud, but I'm. She didn't have a fear of cats, did she? She had a fear of her father somehow. Yeah, yeah, and maybe he looks a bit like a cat. Did he have whiskers? <laughs> <laughs> had a little tail. <laughs> he used to drink milk from a saucer. <laughs> or he had his own special flat that he'd come and crawl in through. <laughs> um, so, um, obviously, people have looked at whether you can you can cure or, or treat 
phobias and, and manias um, with, I think, varying amounts of success. Um, and as, as I said before, like not that many people come for treatment of them anyway. Yeah. Because they... And you just avoid the, situations. Yes, the obsessive part, the obsessive compulsive sort of addictive part is a is a separate thing that we've talked about before. So yeah. that's obviously, you know, massively well studied and, and researched and, you know, people have spent a lot of money trying to develop treatments. But phobias, um, they're, yeah, I think they are trickier. Aversion therapy is is, is one typical method. Um, and I'll just give you a, an example because loads of people are scared of spiders and there's been quite a lot of work with um, people who have arachnophobia. Um, so there was a guy who was, uh, um, I think he was in his 40s and he, for some reason, he was arachnophobic and he was going in for an, an operation to remove his amygdala, for a, not, not, for, not to try and cure arachnophobia. Um, what was it? He had something else. Uh, whatever. Oh, yeah, it was, it was epilepsy. It was, a, okay. it was a, yeah, an epilepsy yeah, yeah. treatment. Yeah. And once it was gone, he was no longer afraid of spiders. So his he was still... Uh, and, and, and nothing else sort of changed. Oh, it was really? Just, so it wasn't that he just lost the capacity for fear? No, no, no. But it was also it was quite specific. So he also he had a fear of uh, public speaking. And that remained... But for some reason, the, the fear of spiders just wow. went quite quite odd. Which, which suggests, suggests it's different, primal, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, does suggest it's primal. Also suggests that this is not just operating in one place in the brain. Yeah, it's not like you've got a sort of just one fear center or, or phobia center. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so that's I mean that's quite extreme, clearly. Mm. And and also, is it debilitating in any way to be arachnophobic? No, no, I think so. Well, not so, unless you're in Australia. I, I mean, even then, but I, then it's it's common sense, isn't it? Because yeah, but then you probably want to, you. I want to keep yeah. my amygdala because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm more likely to kill me. Yeah. Um, and then so you can do really brief exposure treatment where you literally are just flashing up images. So you and so quickly that you're not consciously aware that you're seeing them and then the rest of the time flashing up pictures of like, you know, pretty flowers or whatever it is. Um, and just doing that with with subjects, that will, it's kind of desensitising your your brain's fear circuitry and, and you can do it um, and then show that the subjects definitely there, there is a decrease in their sort of level of arachnophobia. Interestingly, if you do it when you conscious, when you, you show them the images consciously, so you leave them up for long enough, then A, they hate it during the experiment, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and B, it doesn't decrease their... their, their oh, so it has to be quite so subliminal. It has to be subliminal, really, yeah. Um, and then there's another um, a, a, another way of, of approaching it, which is that you you get a load of arachnophobes and then you you expose, so like, you know, uh, a version of it, you expose them to a tarantula for a couple of minutes so they're absolutely shitting themselves right. and then you immediately give them a beta blocker and the beta blocker sort of induces a mild amnesia and it kind of so it does it does Ooh. something with memory recon, reconsolidation um and and that seems to have an effect as well yeah which is quite interesting so there's, there's all sorts yeah. of ways you can try and go to to tackle it and 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 some of them do do seem to work, but fundamentally, in in most cases, it's just easier to just avoid the situation that freaks you out. I think. Yeah, yeah. Than get, than go I'm for sure any, people any do. Paper. I yeah. mean, you, you sort of work out through your life, don't you, how to avoid these things? Yeah. Um, 
So, the question is, where do irrational obsessions come from? Still love the idea of mould. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Everything <laughs> comes from mould, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, I, I mean, I guess, I don't think anyone really knows. I think a lot of it is cultural. Yeah. I think there probably is some evolutionary aspect to it. So a lot of learned behaviour, so from 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 your your parents and others, um, and then pr- probably from these days, probably from the media. Yeah, I, I, was I, say, I guess. Like, I wonder. transmitted sort of, stuff is really strong. I'm sure. I'm sure there'll be some really interesting things coming out from the pandemic of what that did to people's kind of phobias and fears yeah. and that as a kind of collective experience oh, what an interesting question yeah yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure as that i, I don't imagine it's had a positive effect but it's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i mean so effectively what you've got is a kind of you know some primal stuff from evolutionary sort of yeah. aversive yeah you know, i mean it's get away from sense. that thing, get away from that thing. Yeah. and then it gets culturally transmitted yeah. and because most of us aren't dealing with them you just pass them on yeah. to your to your kids or whatever or the people mm. around you mm. so so these things don't go away they just sort of become pervasive through society in some ways yeah but also quite illogical and irrational yeah. because what are you scared of yeah doesn't actually make yeah, I mean, that, that spider on the bathroom floor is not doing anything to you. No. It's going to run away from you if you approach it. Yeah. It's, it's not out to get you. No. Doesn't seem to help when I say that. But a clown might be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the clown on the bathroom floor. I mean, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> I'll just put him outside. We're going to need quite a big glass, either. <laughs> Also ask Kate this. Irrational obsessions, whether manias or phobias, are rooted in our physiology. They trigger processes in our brains that relate to fear and disgust. And they are latent because we need to fear as a species. We would be extinct like the dodo if we didn't, uh, if we weren't scared of threats, of predators, of diseases. And fear, as in the pandemic, um, it can be deployed to protect us. But the particular extreme and irrational phobias and compulsions that we have as individuals are triggered more by our environments. Um, So those latent anxieties that serve to protect us are distorted, exaggerated, become overwhelming and obsessive because of experiences in our life and things we're taught by the society we live in. Uh, So traumatic experiences, frightening imagery, um, particular beliefs or, or compulsions in, in our society and all combine to, to create a phobia or a mania. I'm going to make a sort of um, serious point here, amazingly. Um, I, th- I think because phobias are all cultural creations effectively, um, and we we identify slash in, invent them. I think that they say something quite interesting about what we what we think about ourselves because they kind of set out our boundaries in a like we've decided okay that is an irrational fear. And so I think yeah. if you trace 
the the history of them, um, which actually Kate does a bit in 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 her book. I think it tells you quite a lot about the kind of the mindset, collective mindset of of those people. Does know, it quite... also tell us that actually we probably don't have enough? Or we don't have many things to fear in our lives. You know, because I bet you know the people who are living in genuinely precarious situations don't have don't think those those kinds of, of well fears. because they wouldn't be um, they wouldn't be irrational, would they? So no one no. is going to say, well, why are you why are you scared of that saber tooth tiger? <laughs> they go, well, do you remember it ate Johnny? Ah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where, whereas we, you know, we don't really have that many threats on our on a day to day basis. So maybe the sort of the amygdala is just sort of making shit up to amuse itself. Also, doesn't it make it a bit more sort of vivid and exciting life that you yeah, kind of yeah, you yeah, assign. Yeah. The kind of like mysterious, like meaning and and force and power to something that doesn't really have anything. Well, maybe and that's just what like, Freud was kind of. Yeah, getting at. like everything's a bit sort of dull and grey yeah. and monotone, and this makes everything pop. Yeah, because there could be danger over here, or it could be it just yeah. sort of makes life a bit more fun. Yeah. Can I just say also, I've been slightly uncomfortable through the whole of this episode because I keep having mental visions of a ripping cotton wool apart oh, I'm really and b cutting my own toenails. I know it's just sort of just been slightly on edge through the whole thing. If you thing. see toenail so clippings, for that. How, how do you feel about that? No, I don't mind seeing toenail. I mean, it's not very nice because somebody's been clipping their toenails. If I were to pin you down and do your toenails oh, now, God. what would I say? <laughs> oh, that's a good reaction. <laughs> what about fingernails? Fingernails are fine. Nobody cut my nobody cut my fingers when they were cutting my fingers fingernails as a kid. Yeah, but yeah, oh the the toe. Hang on, no. was he was he using scissors? No, it's clippers. How is he cutting you with clip? Well, that's careless. careless. That's really careless. careless. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's the least of it, really. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't got time to get into that, I don't think. Eureka is a stack production presented by Dr. Michael Brooks and Rick Edwards. The production team is Temi Adebayo, Katie Baxter, Luke Moore and Charlie Morgan. Sound designed by Katie Baxter. Special thanks to today's expert, Kate Summerscale. Please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. It does make a massive difference. We also really love hearing from you guys. So if you have any burning questions you want us to answer, drop us an email at eureka at stack.london or you can find us, as always, on Twitter at EurekaPod. Eureka is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.